I'm going to read from verses 14 through to 20. It says here, those, these three, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause a noisome beast to pass through the land, that they, and they spoil it so that it be desolate, so that no man may pass through because of the beasts, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a fearful thing to preach your word, Heavenly Father, so I've counted as a privilege, Lord, to be opening up your word, to be able to preach it, Lord. I pray that you'll be with me, Lord, please be with my words. Please be with the hearers, Lord, as uh, we uh, delve into your word and see what you have to say to us this morning. It's been wonderful, Lord, to sing these beautiful hymns. Uh, the old rugged cross, Lord, we're so thankful for the blood that was shed for us. It's the whole reason that we're here this morning, Lord, because we love you and we want to praise you and we want to lift up your name. So we just pray that this morning and this afternoon, Lord, will be a glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in this passage, we have uh, the prophet Ezekiel and he's prophesying to Judah. And he's doing this during the time of the Babylonian captivity and the prophet is prophesying uh, judgment upon the people. Uh, that at, and he's, he's prophesying that they would understand the predicament that they are in uh, due to their disobedience of God's ways and, and the wickedness of idolatry and, and iniquity uh, that had separated them from the Lord. Uh, for the most part, God's people at this stage, they were living in idolatry at this time. Uh, the, temple of, uh, the temple hadn't been destroyed at this stage uh, by the Babylonians, but many things in it had been carried off to Babylon along with a lot of people. Uh, Daniel was one of those people. Uh, there's always a faithful remnant of people. There's always a faithful remnant of people like Daniel. But for the most part, Israel at this time, uh, they had a form of godliness, but that's pretty much all they had. Uh, the people and the elders of Israel, they understood and they knew that Ezekiel uh, was a prophet of God. Uh, we see one of the elders uh, come to Ezekiel uh, to inquire of the Lord. Uh, knowing that Ezekiel is a prophet. But the Lord also knows the hearts of these people. So just look at verse 1 of our chapter. Look at four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. And we read there, There came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, should I be inquired of at all by them? So 
here we can see the sort of thing that was going on. These people, they wanted to hear from the Lord, but all the while they still wanted their idols too. They expected that God would still speak to them through the prophet. Uh, that maybe they thought that uh, if God answers them through the prophet, then uh, maybe God would be okay with all their idolatry too. Uh, but so the Lord tells Ezekiel to say to them, look at verses 4, he says, Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I might take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Now the Lord's saying here, he says, I'm going to answer them all right, but it might not be the answer that they're looking for, because look at verse uh, 6 here. It says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Verse 7, For every one of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I the Lord will answer him by myself. Verse 8, And I will set my face against that man, and I'll make him a sign and a proverb, and I'll cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So we're here, here we see that it was their idols and their abominations that separated them from the Lord. Yeah, they, still, they still wanted to inquire. still wanted to inquire through the prophet. Now we have to be careful that we don't get caught doing the same sort of thing. Uh, like these Israelites uh, that the prophet Ezekiel was dealing with here in our passage, uh, there are many still, I believe, in these days that ignore the law of God. They ignore the law of God, yet they still uh, want to inquire of the Lord and uh, think that God's still going to answer their prayers. They think that they can live in fornication. They think that they can live in idolatry, revelings, and all the other abominable things that go on in this world, and yet they still think God's going to hear them. And it's not that God won't hear people. God hears everything that people say and everything, and he knows their thoughts. Uh, but just like the Israel here, God will answer their prayer, but he will answer them according to the multitude of their idols. Their idols. So can you imagine that? We have to be careful and make sure that our hearts are pure before the Lord, before we're going to inquire. You, because it says there, it says that God wants people to do something first. If, they, if they're going to inquire of the Lord, they must repent and turn from their iniquities and abomination. Look at verse 6 again. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from your, all your abominations. So it's clear, we see it clearly in this passage, that it's no good. It's no good coming to the Lord and expecting him to answer you if, if you've got these abominations and idolatry and sin in your heart. That's no good. Uh, these need to be dealt with first. Bring them to the Lord first. Bring, bring them to the Lord first and, and let him deal with them before we're going to inquire of him. Uh, Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, He that turneth, his, uh, turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Even his prayer shall be an abomination. If we're going to ignore the things of the Lord and we're going to come to inquire of the Lord and, and, and inquire of him and we've got sin and wickedness in our heart, he's not going to hear us. 
He's going to hear us, but he's going to answer us according to the multitude of our idols or our iniquities. Uh, but what I want to focus on in this passage today is the three men that Ezekiel uses in this passage that stand in contrast to the majority of the Israelites uh, at this time. So we'll go down to verse 20 there again and see what it says there. It says, uh, Though Noah, Daniel and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. So here we see the Lord, he points to the Israelites, uh, points to the Israelites to look at Noah, uh, Daniel and Job. Uh, so we see that even if these mighty men of faith were in the land, the Lord was still not, was still not going to spare the judgment he was going to bring upon Israel uh, because of their abominations. Yes, the souls of these three men uh, would be delivered, but there's nothing even they could do to spare the people from the judgment of God because of their abominations. So what is it about these uh, three men? We have Noah, Job and Daniel that makes them stand out in contrast uh, to the Israelites in Ezekiel's time. What is it about these men? Well, these, these three men, they, they were faithful men of God. That's what they were. Their faith was tried and it was displayed in different ways. But one thing that does stand out is that these uh, three men were not persuaded by the majority uh, surround, and the surrounding culture of their day because the Lord God was their priority and it wasn't man. So first we're going to look at Noah. Uh, in the Gospels, Noah is mentioned about five times, uh, once in the genealogy from Adam to Christ and the other times are in, in relation and compared to the second coming of Christ. Uh, so turn to Matthew 24. Look at Matthew 24. Look at verse 37, Matthew 24, verse 37. It says here, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So Noah, he lived in a, a time of uh, rampant wickedness, and it was, a, it was a time period when mankind, for the, for the most part, had shut God out of the picture, uh, man, for the most part, they didn't want God anymore in Noah's time. Uh, in Genesis 6-5, we don't have to go there, but we read, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And uh, Genesis 6-11-12 says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Uh, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So what were the people getting up to? You think about this. What were the people getting up to uh, back in Noah's time? Uh, we know there would have been you know, a lot of diabolical wickedness happening there. But, you know, we see that around the world today, don't we? We see some wicked things going on around the world today. I believe violence and corruption are a good description of the world we're living in today. Uh, but they're also going about their lives in other areas. Uh, just the, the same as we see people uh, today. So look at verse 38 there. It says in Matthew 24, 38, it says, For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Just going about their lives. Going about their lives. You know, doing the things that we just see around here. That's... 
that's what we see these people characterized uh, in the Bible. Um, yeah, wicked, wicked time, but they were still marrying. You know, they, they weren't just, you didn't walk out the door and see people just getting slaughtered. It wasn't like a big battlefield. People get married, given in marriage, eating, drinking, uh, but a lot of wickedness. And when we think about the, the account of Noah in Genesis, we often think uh, of a bunch of uh, you know, wicked people laughing, laughing at Noah, you know, while he was building the boat. That's kind of the picture you get in your head. And we kind of make it, you know, all about the boat. And, uh, but the truth is, is the part of people laughing at Noah uh, because he was building the boat, is, it's not even written anywhere in the Bible. It's not written there. Uh, but what we do know and what we do see written uh, that for the most part the people were more concerned about themselves to worry about that old man over there building a boat. Um, the Bible says that they were eating, drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. That's what it says they were doing. Uh, it's probable, it is probable that some people did laugh at Noah while he was building, building the boat but, but Noah's message was, shouldn't, and it shouldn't be defined by the ark. Noah's message shouldn't be defined by the ark. Uh, yes, this was a big part of Noah's life where the Lord delivered uh, Noah and his family, but Noah's message wasn't all about getting on the boat. That wasn't Noah's main message. Uh, turn to 2 Peter 2. We'll have a look at this. 2 Peter 2. See here what the Apostle Peter says about Noah. So look at uh, 2 Peter 2, uh, look at uh, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, look at this, a preacher of righteousness being in the flood uh, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemning them with an overthrow making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly so here, here we see what defines Noah the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness this is in big contrast to the others of his time who were defined as uh, here as ungodly um, it, shows, it, sh it, sh it shows here that uh, Noah's uh, message wasn't so much about telling people, look, there's a flood coming, you need to get on this ark and the Lord is going to judge the world. Yeah, that, that's, that was probably part of his message. But a preacher of righteousness, what does that mean? What is a preacher of righteousness? A preacher of righteousness is one that preaches about the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And uh, we hear, we, we know in, the, uh, in Romans chapter 3, it says the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Um, that's what the righteousness of God is. It's telling people about how to be saved eternally. Um, the, uh, you know, we, the, we know that uh, there would have been some people that were, would have been laughing at Noah. Definitely, there would have been some scoffers. You know, there would have been some scoffers. And uh, we look at, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll see this. We'll see this. 
2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? You imagine that back in Noah's day. Where's the rain, Noah? Where is the rain? No, it's not coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of, of the creation. How many people living today and even Christians live like this? Not watching, not discerning, just living for this life and they're just consumed with the things of this world. Look at verse 5. It says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were evolved, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. But look at this one in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What's his promise here? Well, judgment. He's not slack concerning his pro promise. But as some men, as some men count uh, slackness, but is long-suffering to us would, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10 <coughs> says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And we see there, did you know that it was God's desire that none of the people in Noah's day would perish but they would come to repentance? This portion of scripture here uh, in Second Peter is comparing the days of Noah as likened to the return of Christ. And uh, the reason uh, we just read uh, that the Lord is holding back uh, his judgment which will come at the second coming, is seen there in verse 9. It's because uh, he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, the Lord is he's long-suffering now. He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering uh, in Noah's day too. Look at 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter and we'll see this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 15, 1 Peter 3, 15. And I reckon this is a good passage that shows Noah had the heart of Christ. I reckon this is a good passage that shows that. Verse 15 says, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Look at this. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. But look at this. <coughs> Verse 19 by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. 
Now, there's a few different views on this passage, uh, but I lean to the one that uh, says that these disobedience uh, ones in Noah's day uh, were, were preached to by Christ in this sense, uh, that Noah had the heart of Christ, that Noah had the heart of Christ. Now, they were in prison at the time of writing this passage and still are uh, because they didn't listen to the preaching of Noah. They didn't listen to the preaching of Noah. The key word, I believe, is found there in verse 20, uh, is when, when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness. And if that's not the heart of Christ, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Noah, a preacher of righteousness. What a contrast to the people of his day. What a contrast. What a contrast to the people in Ezekiel's day. The question is, brethren, who are we going to be? Who are we going to be in our day? Lord, give us the grace to be the Noah in these last days. We need to be a Noah. Let's have a look at Daniel. The second person there that Ezekiel mentions in Ezekiel chapter 14. But so we have Daniel. And we know he's, he was, Daniel was also a prophet. He was currently alive. And uh, he'd been carried off uh, into Babylon during the time of Ezekiel's prophecy. For Ezekiel to use Daniel as a godly comparison to the Israelites tells me that the Israelites knew all about uh, Daniel and his strong stand against the idolatries in the cultural pool of, of Babylon. Uh, it, it would have been easy uh, living in Babylon as a Jew if you just went along with the culture of Babylon and, and uh, just did everything that they asked. But not Daniel. Not Daniel. Daniel, uh, like Noah, he was a man of conviction. He was a man of conviction. He was content to be under the rule of Babylon, being uh, a captive at this stage uh, in Babylon, but only un until the rule of Babylon went against his God-given given convictions. And uh, when we think of the people, and uh, that being the, the Israelites, uh, named, uh, namely in Ju Judah at this stage, that the Lord was addressing through the prophet Ezekiel, uh, these people were being judged by God, were being judged by God, and uh, God was uh, using the Babylonians to bring this judgment. The reason the Lord brought the judgment upon them uh, is because they were indulged in the idolatry uh, of the culture uh, of Babylon. When the Lord had told them not to, it was kind of like, you know, well, you, you guys want Babylon, all right, okay, I'm going to give you Babylon, I'll give it to you. And, uh, you know, I think about this, how many Christians are indulging in Babylon today? In the Babylon of today, how many Christians are just indulging in the pleasures of Babylon? Now, they're just, they're watching uh, the filthy movies of Babylon. Uh, they're listening to the filthy music of Babylon. They're worshipping all their heroes, all the Babylonian heroes, indulging in all their pleasures. But not Daniel. Daniel wasn't like this. What a contrast to Daniel. Look at Daniel. Turn to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Which we'll go from, go from verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, 
king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried unto the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels unto the treasure, uh, unto the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Asprenas, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well favoured and skilful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding, science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But look at this in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Look at that. Daniel said that he might not defile himself. He didn't want the king's meat. He didn't want the, to defile himself in this... Uh, in, in, the, in the food and, and uh, the thing that the king was providing for Daniel. You know, there was probably uh, food in there with uh, the Jewish, um, where the Lord had told him things not to eat, certain, certain things. And, uh, you know, Daniel wasn't just going to go just eating the king's meat. You know, he wanted to do things right before the Lord. And uh, what a contrast to the rest of Israel. And uh, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah's time, there was a lot of people carried off to Babylon. Uh, but we'll look at this, just we'll look at Jeremiah chapter 4 uh, for, for a moment. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 4. Because remember Jeremiah, he's prophesying to Judah at the very same time as Ezekiel. And uh, look what the Lord says through the prophet uh, Jeremiah. This is how you can see the kind of things that were going on uh, in uh, Judah, or in Israel at the time. Jer Jeremiah chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 1 to 3. Jeremiah prophesied, uh, the Lord said through the um, prophet Jeremiah, he says, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if you can find a man. If there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I'll pardon it. And look at this, and though they say, The Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. This is the culture of uh, Judah. Uh, this is uh, what was going on. On the other hand, we have Daniel, you know, I don't even want to defy myself with the king's meat. And the, on the other hand, you've got Israel. The Lord liveth, they say. The Lord liveth. 
for surely they swear falsely. And they even went as far as this. Don't turn there, but in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 5, it says, they have built also the high places of Baal, Baal worship, to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind, says the Lord. This is, that's wicked, you know. That's wicked. That's the kind of wickedness they were, they were getting into. Obviously, there was people like Daniel that were faithful, but this was the culture and, uh, uh, that was creeping in. Baal worship. And I'm not seeing that kind of wickedness yet uh, today in this country, but I'm looking around today and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And it's almost like every week, you know, I'm reading the news and I'm saying, surely, you know, surely, not, surely they wouldn't do this. Surely, surely they're not going to do that. Surely, and, and, and yet it happens. It happens. Churches are getting fined for gathering to worship, getting fined. You know, some pastors are even going to jail. I look around at churches, at different, uh, you know, church media or Christian media and, and, and say, surely they wouldn't do this, surely, surely they wouldn't do that. And yet it happens, it happens. Church is saying that the doors will only be open to the vaccinated. What's going on there? Would you ever think that? They violate James chapter 2 just because the government tells them to. Just because the government tells them to. Now I even got fined for handing out a gospel tract while I'm jogging, jogging through a park. Decided to hand out a gospel tract to somebody. Please come and find me, $1,000. Do you ever think that in this, in this day? It's getting bad. It's getting bad. Would you ever think that Babylon... You wouldn't think they'd behead Christians, would you? Behead Christians. But it's coming. I read that in Revelation chapter 20, that even that's coming. And it's not here yet, but little by little, little by little. Things happen. Uh, everything starts off little by little, little by little. You know, it's just a movie. Ah, it's just a movie. Ah, it's just a couple of beers. Ah, it's just a couple of beers. Ah, it's all right. Look, it's just a game. It's a game. No, look, it doesn't hurt anything. Next thing you know, you're living like Babylon, you don't even know it. You're living like Babylon, you don't even know it. That's what happens. Come on, Daniel, ease up a little bit. It's just the king, king's meat, isn't it? Ah, it's just the king's meat. What's that? Little by little. Look at Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. So at this stage, the Medes and the Persians uh, had conquered Babylon. So we had Darius the Mede, he was now king. And uh, there were 120 princes uh, over the kingdom. And uh, 120 princes over the kingdom. And they had three, uh, the, they had three presidents placed uh, over them, and Daniel's uh, was one of the one of them. And the princes and the other presidents, they didn't like Daniel because the the king actually preferred Daniel over them. And uh, then look at verse three. It says there it says then this Daniel was preferred uh, prefer, 
preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find occasion against this Daniel, <coughs> except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So for D Daniel, you know, what was the problem? What was the problem of Daniel? I mean, what did he do? All, all he was was a faithful man. He was faithful to his God, and, and he was probably even faithful to the king here uh, because, you know, he was preferred by the king above these other people. You know, so when the, when the king's going along and... Uh, you know, with, with righteous decree, so to speak, that's fine. You can get along with a king. No problem. He, you know, Daniel was uh, a righteous man. He wasn't going to uh, go along with any unrighteous decree. So they couldn't find any fault in him. You know, the Bible says, it says, why do the heathen rage? It says there in, in Psalm 2. And that's true. What, what is wrong with these guys? What is wrong with them? Now, they just wanted to shut Daniel down because of his life and his dedication to the Lord. And it was just it was showing them up, showing them up. They didn't have a reason. Now, that's all people need sometimes. They don't, that's all they need. They're just looking for a, uh, a, a reason to, to shut Christians down, to shut uh, the things of the Lord down for, for the only reason that people that live godly, it shows their ungodly life. And that's all the reason they need. And uh, look at verse 6. It says, then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. <coughs> now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, uh, which altereth not. So look how cunning this is. You know, it, doesn't, it sounds familiar. You know, let's get a, a royal statute and a, and a firm decree that's just going to affect everybody. Mm. A royal statute that's just going to affect everybody. No, no, it's not, you know, it's not targeted at Daniel. You know, look, it's a, it's a decree for everybody. It's not targeted at Daniel. It's just, just for, for, uh, for everybody. You know, everyone has to abide by it. You know, it sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds a lot like today. No, no, look, the royal, statu the royal statute, it isn't targeted at the church. Mm. It's not at the church. Look, you know, it's, uh, it's a decree for everyone. You know, everyone's got to abide by it. You know, but it's closed down the churches. Oh, no, 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 no. And look, you know, the pubs, they're suffering too. You know, the pubs are suffering too. Very cunning, isn't it? Mm. Very cunning. Look at verse 9. Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Mm. Then these men assembled 
and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Oh, hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask that ask a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Can, so can you see that? Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god? Nah, it's not targeted at Daniel. It's not targeted at Daniel. Nah. We live in wicked times, brethren. The devil is that cunning. Don't fall asleep. We've got to keep watching. We've got to keep watching. Verse 13. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee. Look at that. Look, Daniel, look, he regardeth not thee, O king. Nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Daniel, he didn't have a problem with the king before the decree was made, and nor probably after. He didn't have a problem with the king. It says there in verse 3 that Daniel was actually preferred above the other presidents. Daniel, he was a law-abiding citizen. That's what he was. The problem was not the king. The problem is the decree that says Daniel isn't allowed to worship his God as he's always done before. That's what the problem is. Look at verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he laboured till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establishes may be changed. So look how cunning these men were. You know, the king was probably thinking, oh, no, I wasn't thinking of Daniel. You know, like, what, what, is he, what has he ever done? Then you have these other presidents. Oh, yeah, yeah, I oh, know, it seems crazy, doesn't it? You know, it seems crazy. You know, but that's the decree. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. You know, Nothing makes sense, but you know, that's the royal statute. It's been signed. Can't be changed. Remember, O King, it affects everybody. It affects everybody. We know that after this, Daniel he was thrown into the lion's den, but the Lord delivered him. The Lord delivered him. There are a lot of, lot of Israelites carried off to Babylon during Ezekiel and Daniel's time. And it had me thinking. It had me thinking. What were they doing? What were they doing while all this was going on? I thought maybe they were just uh, following the royal decree. Probably just following the royal decree. Oh, it affects everyone. It's not just us. Would have been their mantra. That would have been their mantra. But then we've got Daniel, a man who purposed not even to defile himself with the king's meat. What a contrast to the people of his day. What a contrast to the people of his day. What a contrast to the people in Ezekiel's day. The question is, who are we going to be? 
Who are we going to be in our day? Lord, just grace to be a Daniel. We need to be a Daniel. Then we have Job. Job. Oh, it was just, when I was reading through Job again and, and uh, when I see what this man went through, if ever you're going to go through a trial or you're going through a trial, oh, just look at Job. Just look at Job because, you know, I, I just don't think any trial that we're going to ever go through is ever going to be like what Job went through. Uh, you know, James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But what kind of a man was Job? What kind of a man was he? So let's have a look at Job. Turn to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. It says there, it says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and he eschewed evil. Uh, in fact, uh, Job, he was, he was actually one of a kind at his time, during his time. Satan had uh, presented himself before the Lord, and the Bible doesn't tell us why uh, Satan did this, but uh, look at verse 8 and uh, look how the Lord described Job to Satan. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and assureth evil. None like him in all the earth. Now that's not to say that there are other men at the time that uh, feared the Lord. Um, yeah, there would have been others. Uh, but they weren't like Job. There was none like him in all the earth. And uh, like Job, he had friends. He had friends that we read about in Job and these guys used a lot of spiritual speech. And uh, we'll see the kinds of things that they said to him uh, shortly. Uh, but look, but look how Satan replies to the Lord. Look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And I like that because what it, what it shows is God's omniscient power uh, compared to Satan. Like the Lord knows exactly the heart of Job. The Lord knows what is in Job's heart. But see, Satan, he can't do that. You know, all he can do is guess. All he can do is guess. Look at verse 10. Uh, Satan says, has, has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But, foot, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. But the Lord knows that Job feared, feared God for the right reasons. The Lord knows. And it wasn't for nothing, mind you. It wasn't for nothing. And we're going to have a look at that soon, but it definitely wasn't for the reasons that Satan thought. It wasn't for the reasons that he thought. On the other hand, Satan thought that Job feared the Lord for other reasons. <coughs> look at verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, and upon himself put not forth thine hand. 
So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger under Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the asses feeding them uh, beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Look at this. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking. Can you imagine this? While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And then Job arose and he rent his mantle and he shaved his head and he fell down upon the ground and he worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Job didn't know what was going on. He didn't know. The one thing he wasn't going to do was blame God for all this stuff that was happening to him. He wasn't going to shake his fist at God. He wasn't going to shake his fist at God. When we read on, we see that this was just the start of things that happened to Job. Uh, in chapter 2, his, his own health uh, was stricken. He had boils uh, from his head to his toe and uh, even his wife uh, turned on him and uh, look at chapter 2 verses 9 it said then said his wife unto him dost thou still retain thy integrity curse God and die imagine hearing that from your wife you know if all this has happened to you and she just says that can you imagine going through that you know he's just lost all of his business all of his workers all of his cattle all of his kids his possessions, he's got these boils all over him from his head to his toe and his wife just looks at him and says, curse God and die. And, uh, you know, Job, he's still got three friends that try and come and comfort him. Uh, Eliphaz, uh, Bildad and Zophar. But they were not much comfort to Job. These three friends weren't much comfort to Job. And even they thought that surely Job, he must have done something. He must have done something really bad to be going through all this. And uh, we'll see that and uh, look at Job chapter 4 and we'll see what Eliphaz says to, to uh, Job in chapter 4. Look at verse 7, chapter 4. Remember, I pray thee, this is, this is Eliphaz talking, remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they, they that plough iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying, well, you're not innocent, Job. You're not innocent. 
Come on, come clean, Job. Now, what have you done? You must have done something. That's, that's what he's saying there. Well, his other friend, Bildad, he wasn't much of a comfort either. Look at uh, chapter 8. Turn to chapter 8. This is Bildad speaking. He says to Job, he says, How long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty uh, pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he has cast them away for their transgression, <coughs> if thou wouldst seek unto God betimes, uh, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. If you were pure, Job, come on, Job, if you were pure and upright, come clean, what have you done, Job? You see, see what he was saying? If that were pure, so he does not much of a comfort to Job. But if we got this other fellow, Zophar, he wasn't much of a comfort either. Look at chapter 11. Look what he says to Job. Look what he says in chapter 11. Look at verse 13. He says, If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands towards him, if iniquity be in thine heart, in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery, and remember it as waters that pass away, and thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt be shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning. <laughs> there he goes, he there. There must be iniquity there, Job. There must be iniquity. You know, if, if, if thy lift up their, their face without spot, what have you done, Job? God has done something wicked. We've got another young man, and his name's Elihu, El, uh, Elihu. And he saw what was going on and the conversations uh, that Job and his friends were having. And uh, he, this guy, he thought he was wiser uh, than all of these guys, and he, he wants to throw his two cents in as well. And uh, so look what he says about Job. Look at chapter 34. <coughs> chapter 34. We'll go to verse... 34, chapter 34, verse 34. This is what he says. He says, well, let men of understanding tell me. He's a pretty prideful fellow, this guy. He says, let a wise man hearken unto me. He says, Job hath spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. Look at this. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for, for wicked men. For he, for he addeth rebellion unto his sin. He clappeth his hands among us and multiplieth his words against God. What's he saying? You know, listen to me, you four blokes. You know, hearken unto me, all you wise men. I'm wiser than all of you. You know, Job, you're, you're, you're adding rebellion unto your sin. Come on, come clean. You know, what have you done? What have you done? Can you imagine the pressure, the, the pressure that Job was under? You know, he, he'd have lost everything. He'd have lost everything. And then, uh, and then everyone he knows, his friends, even his wife, are telling him to come clean of his sin and to give up on God. 
This is what was happening. I don't know about you, but it, it'd be hard to not start believing what these people are saying. It'd be hard to not start believing everything they're saying. You'd be thinking, you know, uh, you know, what's going on here? You'd be starting to believe them. But, you know, Job, he didn't fear God for nothing. He didn't fear God for nothing. Job actually feared God because he couldn't imagine fearing, not fearing God. That's why he feared God. He couldn't imagine not fearing God. He feared God because God is God. That's the reason he feared God. Let's look at chapter 42. Chapter 42. And look at verses 1. So leading up to this chapter, you know, Job, he, he had all these supplications and, and questions to the Lord. He, you know, he was trying to work out why, you know, all this had come upon him and he was reflecting on his life. He had a lot of, um, <coughs> you, know, you know, if I had done this sin or if I had done that sin, you know, then I could understand the reason why. You know, that's the kind of things he'd, he'd been saying a lot. And, uh, you know, but Job, he, he didn't understand what was going on behind the scenes. He didn't, he didn't understand. And, uh, and then the, the Lord did uh, uh, speak to him. And uh, when the Lord finally spoke to him, he just reminded Job of who he was. The Lord just reminded, reminded Job of who he was. He didn't even tell him what was actually going on behind the scenes. He just reminded Job uh, uh, who he was and uh, that was good enough for Job. You know, what a faithful man. What a faithful man. Look at uh, how Job answered the Lord. Look at how he answered the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 42. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech ye and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear but now my eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job, he never, he never charged God foolishly. <coughs> in fact, if you read the things that Job was saying amongst all these questions, if I'd done this, maybe I could understand if I'd done that. Amongst all that, he actually upheld the majesty of God. You know, he had some questions and that, but uh, and he didn't know why this was happening to him but he never gave up on God never what a faithful man and uh, you know this is it's a unique thing this is very unique what happened to Job you know because it didn't happen to his friends you know they had a lot of spiritual talk and and uh, you know this didn't happen to them but uh, you know we can we can learn I believe a lot from Job uh, about what endurance and patience is uh, because, you know, I don't think what happened to Job is, is going to happen to us. Uh, not to that extent anyway. You know, I, I, I think we might experience some of those things. And uh, James, as I said before, James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. 
You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the, Lord is, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So what endurance and patience that we see in Job. What a contrast to the people of his day. What a contrast to the people of Ezekiel's day. This is why the uh, prophet Ezekiel pointed to Job. The question is, uh, again, who are we going to be? Who are we going to be in our day? Lord, give us grace to be a Job in these last days. Look at what the Lord said about the Israelites in the time of Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 5. Back to Ezekiel. This is what was going on. Ezekiel chapter 5. Look at verse 5. <coughs> Thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are around about her, and she hath changed my judgments into wickedness more than the nations and, and my statutes more than the countries that are round about her. For they have refused my judgments and my statutes. They have not walked in them. Therefore thus, thus saith the Lord God, because you multiplied more than the nations that are round about you and have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my judgments, neither have done according to the judgments of the nations uh, uh, that are round about you, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against thee, and I'll execute judgments in the midst of thee, in the sight of the nations. You believe that? And we also read that they, were, that they were also saying, The Lord liveth! The Lord liveth! Yet this is how they were. This is really how they were. Ezekiel 14.20 Though Noah, Daniel and Job were in it as I live saith the Lord God they shall deliver neither son nor daughter they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. May God help us brethren. May God help us to be a Noah in these last days. May God help us to be a Daniel in these last days. May God help us to be a Job in these last days. Let's pray.